I don't have it open. Log Talk Radio. Okay. Well, as usual, our intro doesn't work. There's a baby kind of half-making noises, googly noises in the background, and the dog <laughs> is growling somewhere. Welcome to the new Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Wait, why <laughs> Seth Cave and Sean Palmer. Why, why is this new? This isn't new. This is the same. Well, it's, it's new over the last few, the last few weeks has been new. It is not new in regards to it's new in regards to the last seven year last five years. Apparently, according to LinkedIn, back sports page has been on open for seven years, which, of course, is a little bit terrifying because, well, it just means I'm old. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to... That's the way you do it. Was that you or was that me? That was me. Why doesn't it work when I try? <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> anyway, Seth came in, Sean Palmer, uh, Seth and Sean Sports Radio, uh, on a disgusting day in in the city. And now I'm done. It is an absolutely Um, disgusting day in the city. You know, as a Syracuse fan, I was disgusted this weekend. As a Jets fan, I was disgusted this weekend. As a Knicks fan, I was disgusted this weekend. As an Islanders fan, I was disgusted this weekend. But for some reason, at around 4.30 today, the gods, well, the gods let down a whole lot of rain. But other than that, they decided to give me something to care about, where Jonas Cespedes, a Cespedes for the rest of us, is back with the Mets for four years and $110 million. Now, is that a lot of money? Yes. Well, he, he didn't exactly give you guys a hometown discount. Well, he did because he only went for four years. He's 31 years old. So most guys would want five or six years. So... I'm not saying he gave us a hometown discount, but we definitely got him for less than I thought it was going to take in years. And at the same time, as my brother Jay likes to say all the time, it ain't my money. So if if it ain't my money, then why do I care? Well, you care because you have a budget, and if you're Fred Wilpon and the rest of the Mets, you have a budget, and this eats $27.5 million into that budget. The only player that the only position player that earns that much is a surefire Hall of Famer in Detroit named Miguel Cabrera, and who is by the not time, Miguel Cabrera. No, um, and by the end of the contract, Cabrera will be forty years old and DHing somewhere, um, whether it's right. Detroit or someplace else. Um, right, but, but Seth, that's said, the point, right? So the Mets yeah. get the Mets get Cespedes for four years and the same amount of money that it's going to take Cabrera until he's 41. So you can say this is a pretty good deal for the Mets. 
I don't think it's a great deal for the Mets, but it's a pretty good deal for the Mets. Now, as they did last year, they have five outfielders for three spots. And they have no center That was going to lead to my next question. Who are you looking to trade? Is it Jay Bruce? I'm assuming you're not going to trade Michael Conforto. Um, So does does Bruce have much value to this team at this point? Well, are you asking me as Sandy Alderson or are you asking me as Sean Palmer? Because they're two entirely different answers in all likelihood. I'm asking what Sean Palmer would do. What Sean Palmer would do is betray everybody but Michael Conforto. He would trade Curtis Granderson, and he would trade Jay Bruce. Now, if you're Sandy Alderson, what can you get for those two guys? Not much. I'll tell you that flat out. You're not going to get very much for Jay Bruce. He's $13 million in one year on his contract. Granderson's $14 million in one year on his contract. And I've said this many times before. There are no, one year, there are no bad one-year contracts in sports. It's one year. But if you're looking to trade and get value back, there is not much there. Would they be better off holding until the trade deadline and trying to deal? No, because none of these guys are going to get time. They still have Juan Lagares in the background, too, who's the only center fielder they have. What I think they should do, and they will not do this, uh, but this is my thought. I was I was ruminating over trades today, and because you don't need a, a salary cap thing for the Major League Baseball, the trade the trade machine does not work. But if they traded Jay Bruce and Steven Matz, and yes, I know that I'm giving up one of the prized pitchers, but we said that about Generation K too. Steven Matz and Jay Bruce to the Diamondbacks, and took Tomas just. Yosemite Tomas, who has earned, who has owed a ton of money, and AJ Pollock, and AJ Pollock plays center field for the Mets next year. I love that deal. I love it. Does that solve all the outfield problems? No, you still have four outfielders. But at least they have a center fielder. Right now, they don't have a center fielder amongst the mix, so that's that's a problem. You don't. But, I'm assuming you don't consider Lagares a full-time center fielder. I don't consider Lagares one of the top three outfielders in that five. And if he's not one of the top three outfielders in that five, I don't want him on. I don't want him in the starting lineup. I, I can only play three out of the five, and if I'm going to play three out of the five, I certainly want the best three. And he's probably number five. So. Lagares would be a full-time center fielder, but not when you have those guys. So, but you know what? The right move to make, no question about it. They had to make this deal because if they didn't make this deal, the Mets were going to look at Sessman as perhaps going to down Route 95 to the Nationals. And if he went to the Nationals, there would have been some major, major consternation in Flushing and in my head. But other than that, we'll see. Well, there's always, yeah. okay. Let's let's be fair. There's always a lot of consternation in your head. Um, Very true. Now, again, that's what you would do if you're Alderson. Do they? Yeah. What do you think he does? Well, I think he tries to trade Jay Bruce. I think Jay Bruce has the well. Conforto has the most. Right. Has the most, even though even though he took a little downturn, he certainly has the most trade value because he's under. He's under team control for four more years at least. I think it's right. four, maybe five. 
But he's all yeah. He's twenty three years old. He's not at the right. end of a contract. Obviously, he would have the most value. Right, but he's also the guy. He's also the guy they don't want to give up, right? Because he's a guy that, like you said, is not earning very much. So that being said. I think they try and trade Jay Bruce. They may take pennies on the dollar, but I think they have to find themselves a center fielder. No matter what, they have to find a guy that can legitimately play center field because I don't want to see Cespedes in center field again. I don't want to see Conforto in center field. You may have to see Granderson in center field for a little bit, but that shouldn't be a full-time gig. Can, Can Jay Bruce or Conforto play first base? I don't know. But if they could, let's put them over there. But it wouldn't matter. You still need a center fielder. They have too many outfielders, and none of them play one of the positions that they need to fill. So that's where it is in Flushing for today. But you know what? It's a good day in Flushing. You got the guy back. You got the, the guy that can hit the home run back. An interesting stat by Jason Stark. Since August 1st, 2015, Jonas Espinez and Chris Carter – have both hit 48 home runs, Chris Carter being from the formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers. One got a $110 million contract today. The other one got released. <laughs> now, to be fair, Chris Carter last year had two over 200 strikeouts and batted two about 211. So, to be fair, it's either he's very much Pedro Serrano, but – I, I was going to go with Dave Kingman, but the, but the, I think the sentiment's the same. If anyone wants to call in and discuss discuss uh, Mets, discuss the NFL, discuss college football, seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. A couple of things going on in the NFL outside of ju- outside of just the outside of obviously we're now three quarters of the way through the season. There's a lot of speculation that the NFL is going to get rid of or is going to look to get rid of the Thursday night package. As, as a fan who, of, of sports where, you, where you've seen oversaturation on television, hence college basketball, where you went from two or three days a week to six nights a week, and even college football where you can watch games three or four nights a week. Now, the, now they're doing this in part because the ratings have been terrible. The games haven't been good, but a lot of the ratings have come back last week due to the election now being over. If you're Roger Goodell, well, forget Roger Goodell. What's your thoughts? Do you believe that the NFL needs a Thursday night game? Well, if your goal is to protect the players, then the answer is no. If the goal is to make money, then the answer is yes. And for Roger Goodell, who has spoken very eloquently about player safety, he's kind of in a dichotomy situation here. Is there oversaturation of football? Perhaps. Is there oversaturation of every sport? Probably. (laughs) So, I mean, is this anything unique? No. Do I think it goes away? No. Come on, they're making money. It's all about the Benjamins. We all know that. It's all about the Benjamins. So, no, I don't think it goes away. I think you may have it. Well, you see, the issue is here is if you put less Thursday night games, you put them only in the last six, eight weeks of the season, you're going to have a competitive. 
you're going to have a competitive imbalance because you'll have some teams that play on Thursday and some teams that don't. And I believe but the deal was any, you this have year. That anyway. No, you don't. It's, every, every single play, team every plays, single team on plays on in one Thursday night game? Yes. This year, that, that was the way it was done. So if that's the case. Wow. I, I learned something. Sean, I learned something today. I did not know that. And you learned something that from makes, me, which makes it even worse. That, that may explain that, that magnificent Titans-Jaguars uh, game a few weeks ago. Exactly. And that's why you have a Browns and Ravens game. What I'm saying is every team plays once on Thursday night. So if you eliminate the Thursday night games, say, until Thanksgiving, and you only play them starting in Thanksgiving, we're in, what, week 11, week 12? So week 12, so you'd only have six, five or six Thursday night games. You'd, you'd have a, a competitive imbalance. And that is part of why I don't think that they will do it that way, although that might be a better way of doing it. But you can also make the case, and look, I know I'm, I'm, I'm flip-flopping here. You can also make the case that later on in the season is worse for the player's health because they've been banged up so much. So, I mean, you can play it either way. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the Benjamins. And that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of ego, isn't it, that the NFL would have to take? That's a lot of egg on their face that we would say, you know what? Just didn't work out. We're going to stop. Have you ever seen a sport do that? Not off the top of my head. Um, cause as you said, not, you know, I can't think of any, of any sport who would purposely pull away from that. Um, other big other big NFL news, the public the spat that's become public between Derek Dickerson and the Rams, more specifically with uh, the GM Kevin Demoff and Jeff Fisher, the coach, the coach that refuses to die, um, you know, saying that you know Dickerson who was on the Rams for three or four, three or four, I think four years before being traded to the Colts, set the NFL record in '85 as a running back for the Rams, very popular still, but has been based on a phone call with Jeff Fisher, has been asked not to be on the sideline for the game because he's too critical of the product. Well, if anyone has seen the Rams over the last 15 years, I'm not sure how you couldn't be uh, critical of the product. You know, the, the Jeff Fisher, who I believe has, what, four winning seasons in 22 years, is really concerned about this at this point, it, it is beyond me. And if it was any other team, Jeff Fisher would have been gone. You know, he stay, he came, he comes over from St. Louis to L.A. You know, he's a USC guy. So, they, you know, they didn't want to make that transition during the year, uh, during a year where they were moving from one city to another. I don't think this plays – I don't know if this plays a part. In, you know, it, to me, that Fisher is still there is a mystery in the first place. Do you think this expedites anything or just kind of continues the – the, the the bad will the bad will that just seems to kind of plague this franchise. Well, here's the thing: is Marshall Falk allowed back on the Rams sidelines? Because I've heard him spew out crap about them too. 
this is ridiculous. This is ego over ego over ego, and holy cow, we're talking about sports, and egos come into play. It's kind of like talking about politics and minutiae. No, this doesn't exacerbate the situation. You really think that Jeff Fisher's going to get fired over this? Jeff Fisher's like no, I think just, I, 20 games under 500. He's not getting fired over this. I mean, at the, no, no, this doesn't change anything. And you know what? This is just, if I'm the Rams, I'm happy that this is happening because this takes away from the awful product on the field. Although Jared Goff has been playing, did play a very good game in his first in his first two games. I mean, he he's showing some of what everybody thought uh, he had coming out of college. And um, if they could just, my lord, if they could just have an offensive line, and that was no more, no more shown than the benching of Greg Robinson. Now, Greg Robinson, if you recall, in 2014, number two pick was in the draft. number two pick overall in the draft out of Alabama. And he has been benched. Not only benched, he was inactive for Sunday's game. Which was, believe it or not, for the guy that's been holding Todd Gurley the whole year on his fantasy league team, the first time that Todd Gurley has gotten 10 points or more in probably four or five weeks. And, of course, he's on my bench. So maybe I should look and see if, if Greg Robinson is going to be benched next week. Is that maybe Gurley will <laughs> do something against New England. But they need an offensive Robinson, Robinson uh, actually went to Auburn. Wrong, wrong, wrong side of the rivalry. Um, oh, sorry. But, yeah, he's been, a, he's been an utter disappointment since, since being drafted. You know, when you look around the NFL, you know, we're 12 weeks in. Nobody's been fired yet. Other than other than Gus Bradley, there's no – there's nobody that – there's no automatic firing. And usually there's – you have about five or six teams that – that usually every year about 20% of the coaches turn over, five, six, seven teams. This year, it doesn't look, it doesn't seem that it's going to be that high. Um, I think Bradley's gone in Jacksonville because that team has just fallen apart. Not that they were ever that high to begin with, but they certainly haven't gone very far. Mike McCoy has kept San Diego relatively competitive, um, considering all the injuries. I, I refuse to believe that Green Bay is going to fire. Um, uh, the name is escaping me off the top of my head. Uh, look like McCarthy, you know, he's been there for 11 years and this is their first bad season. Pittsburgh's not going to fire Mike Tomlin. Is there anyone else you think is in serious trouble on the, on the coaching front? Yep. There are a couple of people. Rex Ryan ain't making the playoffs this year. That's number one. I think Marvin Lewis is in trouble. Look, Mike Brown does not like paying coaches that are not still coaching for him, but I could see him getting fired. Chuck Pagano, five and six. We talked about Bradley. I don't think McCoy gets fired. I think they've had way too many injuries, including Keenan Allen in the first game of the year. I think John Fox is in a lot of trouble in Chicago. 
Well, and, you know, going through, the, how about your, I guess your boy Bulls as well? Yeah, you know, I don't think Bulls, I think Bulls gets another year. And I, I've said that throughout, right? I, I, I've never. No, you said you thought he was in serious trouble, actually, a couple weeks ago. I said I thought Bowles was in serious. Oh yeah, because I thought McCannon would keep it and Bowles. Okay. I still okay. Then I'm flip flopping, and I think Bowles gets another year. Okay, fair enough. I think those. I think you're going to see a lot of the. There's always a surprise or two, right? There's it, the same in college. There's always a surprise or two, and I think John Fox is on is on very t- tumultuous ground there in Chicago. He's two and nine. And the team has has absolutely no talent, which I don't think is his fault. And he's a running – I have a little bit of trouble giving – you know, Fox was successful in Carolina, successful in Denver, on a team where he's a running back and defensive guy. He's, a, he's an old-school coach where there is no running game and there is no defense. Um, I, I don't know what could be expected out of him with the talent that they have. Um, you know, kind of going through the, the names that you just that you just threw out. I agree with you on McCoy. I agree with you on Bulls. I don't think either of them are going anywhere. Um, I don't think Buddy Ryan is going to be fired. I think I he'll think get so a third year as well. Ryan's dead. I don't think Rex Ryan is going to be fired. <laughs> I think he's going to get a third time. year. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the third time in four weeks that. Uh, that Seth has believed that Buddy Ryan is still on this earth. Oh, he, not that was Bill. Buddy Ryan. He was calling. It was collect. Buddy Bob. Ryan was calling for his job back. Oh man. Collect, um, God. I do see. Oh, I do see them make these mistakes more and more as I get old. Uh, I don't think that he, he's going to be fired. Up up in Buffalo, I think he'll get a third year. Um, you know, I kind of running through. I mean, Pagano just got a four-year extension. I cannot imagine they're going to fire him eight weeks, you know, a year into the four-year extension. Uh, whether he should have gotten one or not is a completely is a completely is a complete other discussion. You know, maybe you look at Ch- you know maybe Chip Kelly. Um, you know, maybe kind of. I mean, that wouldn't really be a surprise to see him leave. He, his game just seems to be suited for. Just seems to be more suited for college. Uh, but, you know, I, I Marvin Lewis is a really difficult call. As someone who, as you know, someone who roots for the Bengals, um, he is the only coach who's ever had any success south of Sam Weich. And yep. the team, but the team, the team has gone to the playoffs five straight years. Yes, they have not won a game. I'm abundantly aware. The team looks like it's falling up, which was so good for so long. It's gotten old. The offense, you know, AJ Green is out for the year. The uh, Gio Bernard is out for the year. I think he'll, Lewis will survive if he chooses to. It may be just one of those where, in his mind, he knows that it's run its course. I don't know. Um, I, I, it's going to be interesting. There's, a, there's, a, you know, as always, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, there's, there's very few college candidates this year to come to the pros. There's a lot of, there's a lot of assistance. You know, you have McDaniel's and Patricia in New England. You have Bevel in, in Seattle. 
You got my favorite name, Joe Bob Cooter, in Detroit. You know, there are there's a lot of assistance coaching jobs. I just don't think there's. I think there's going to be less than usual. Um, you know, we're four weeks away. You know, we have five weeks left in the season. What are you rooting for for your Jets at this point? Is it? Are you just? Are you rooting for the draft pick? Are you rooting for yeah. Bryce Petty to start just to see what? Just to see what he can do. Nope. You know what? I'm what is? I'm just so I sat and watched the Patriots game, and I watched the entire game, uh, start to finish. And I realized at the start that I messed up and didn't start Brandon Marshall, because any time that Ryan Fitzpatrick starts, you need to start Brandon Marshall. That is that is because he's the only guy that they go to. And I've said this for a couple of weeks, that, and somebody I don't remember who was doing the announcing. I think it was John Lynch said, you know, the Jets aren't going downfield as much this year. And I just shook my head because these guys should know better. Their downfield target, Eric Decker, has been out the whole year. Kind of hard to go downfield when you don't have a guy that can run downfield. So I want a draft pick. I do. So I watched the game. They were up, what, 10 nothing. At one point, then 10-3, and you knew. You knew this is Tom Brady. You knew this was going to happen. And I just hoped it would. The only thing that I hoped that did not happen was LeGarrette Blount scoring on that touchdown, at the almost touchdown at the end, because that would have ruined the spread. But <laughs> I, I, because I picked the Jets with the points. But, yeah, I won a draft pick. I don't want a quarterback with that draft pick. I want a draft pick. I want an offensive lineman. That's what I want a right tackle for the next 20 years. That's what I want. And so, yeah, I'm rooting for a draft pick because there's nothing left. And the concept that Todd Bowles is, is starting Ryan Fitzpatrick again to me this week is mind-boggling because what is he hoping for at this point? other than Brandon Marshall scoring some major fancy points for me, which is what I need. <laughs> oh, Sean and your fantasy. Uh, of course, who am I to complain? Another victory for Seth and Sean last week, putting us at eight and four, although we still have the most points, with the most points in the league by over 100, and over, well over 100. Um, but we will cruise into the playoffs and see, and see where it goes from there. Actually, Seth, you, know, you know the best part is, so we have a guy on a bye week this week. Actually, two of them. We have Ricardo Matthews, who we did pick up Taylor Boyd last week in preparation for this. But we also have a defensive player on a bye week this week. And you and I have to discuss this a little bit more, but we are guaranteed a playoff spot. There's no way to yes. lose this playoff spot. Guaranteed. And in all likelihood, we're not going to get a bye. We're going to have to play. So, do we drop? And, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to call in and give us some advice, please do. Do we drop Joe McKinnon and pick up a defensive player? Do we drop our defensive player, who I, for the life of me, I cannot remember his name. Kirksey. Kirksey. The guy in Cleveland. Who's only averaged nine points a game for every game this year. 
and has had a high of 13? Or do we just take the zero in that spot and, and see what we can do with what we got? Because like I said, we're in the playoffs. So we're facing the three and nine team this year, this week. So, well, I think uh, I look at it a little. I look at it a little bit differently. We're gonna admit we are in the playoffs. We have three other running backs on our bench. We have Chris. Yeah. I we 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 have our starters are Bell or Le'Veon Bell, Jonathan Stewart, or Flex is, is Devontae Freeman, um, and then we have Jarek McKinnon, Chris Ivory, and Kenneth Dixon on our bench. Yeah. The practicality is and, and Tyler Boyd, but the practicality is we're not gonna play any of those. In our playoff in, in our playoff weeks, so to keep all three of them may not make sense. So, so the so the contrary is that the only reason to keep all three of them is to keep them away from our opponents. Well, then, fair, and I, we'd have to look through the playoffs to make a determination whether or not you know whether or not they're going to need running backs anyway. Um, but, you know, are people really jonesing for Kenneth Dixon or for Jarek McKinnon? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, they're ten but, again, I'd, ha- I'd have to go through all the other teams' rosters. Yeah, they're 10-point players. I mean, that's what you're looking at. So so, so we'll do that, but we have and, – and we are not going to be obviously doing this, no matter what, until, fr- until Sunday. Because there's no reason right. to give someone the opportunity to pick up one of our guys for this week. And then we might – and the alternative is, you know what, we drop a McKinnon or we drop a Dixon, and then next week we pick them back up. That's that is another option. That is another option. So, anyway, you were, you were saying with four weeks left – or uh, yeah, four weeks left in the NFL season, continue on kind, sir. Five weeks, actually. We're in week 12. Well, week 12, we, we talked a little bit about your – the Jets, the Giants, and he, the Giants, and people are starting to make this, this, this comparison, and I don't like it. We're starting to compare this Giants team with the teams of 2007 and 2012 because suddenly their defensive line looks dominant with Hankins, Harrison, Paul, and, and Vernon. They have the big play guy in Beckham. Landon Collins has been phenomenal this year. They haven't, in my mind, and again, I'm, I'm looking, I'm always looking for a reason for the Giants to be great. Not only they're not, we have no clue how good the Giants are at this point. In un, they, they won all these games incredibly unimpressively. Cleveland, not impressive. The Bears, really not impressive. You know, they play the Steelers, the Lions and the rest of the NFC East one time, so they don't have a they don't have an easy game down the stretch. I, but people are starting to talk to them, starting to talk about them with their six game winning streak as this NFC East sleeper team, and they do have the second best record in the NFC. Do you see this team going anywhere? And do you do you understand my reticence to even think about comparisons to the seven and eleven, seven and twelve teams? I do. I absolutely do. And do I see them going anywhere? This week will be a very big test because they have yet – I'm going through my, my thoughts on their schedule, and if I'm correct, they haven't played an offense like the Steelers in some time. 
No. Am I correct? Well, I mean, the Steelers, they, they haven't played anyone like the Steelers, really, unless you're going to count Washington. Well, no. They, um, well, they played the Saints in week two. They played the Redskins in week three. But since then, they haven't played anybody with a legitimate offense. And you can make the case that week two and week three are very early in the season and maybe teams aren't getting on track like the Redskins. So, no, they've, I mean, they faced the Cowboys in week one, one by one. They faced a Saints team that they held to 13 points. Congratulations, because I don't think you're doing that again. You held, especially since they put on 49 on Greg Williams and the Rams this week. The Redskins, they held, they gave up 29. They've given up 27, 23, 24, 28 to the Eagles, uh, 23 to the Eagles, and then 20. And the Steelers, at, at the Steelers, at Pittsburgh, this is a legitimate, legitimate offense. And we know this more than anybody because Brown and Bell and we just call out for dinner every week because that's where we go with our fantasy league team. So, yeah, I, I don't buy it until I see this week. And I think that's how most Giants fans feel. There's an article that I read on Vice Sports, and again, it's Vice Sports. You can't really take it particularly seriously. But it was it was published last week or two weeks ago. How are the Giants 7-3 and three in this lousy? It was is paraphrasing the title. And that's, I think, how most Giants fans feel. Again, it's hard to complain when I'm talking to a Jets fan whose team is 3-8. and eight. But this team does have some talent. But I think it's very – the last five weeks, when you looked at the schedule going into the season, everyone saw the, the ease of kind of this mid-tier part of the schedule. And now with the NFC well – you know, vastly improved and surprisingly good, I, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun last four or five weeks um, for, for football fans, for NFC East fans. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I want to touch a little bit – uh, did you watch any college other than your Pittsburgh Syracuse game, which, which we'll I discuss watch. at some point? <laughs> for those of you who don't know why I'm laughing, Pittsburgh and Syracuse combined for the most points in a regular season college football game in in in, in the history of the NCAA. Um, Syracuse scoring 61 and ending up on the losing end uh, by 15. But there were a lot. There were a lot of there weren't too many great games. There was one which obviously is is greatly impacted the college football playoff. Did you get to see Ohio State Michigan? So I was at the Syracuse basketball game. Was another uh, there are words that I can't use on the on the air. And we were watching the actual score uptick in the football game. Never in Syracuse history has the football team actually outscored the basketball team in a game. And if they did, you would think that they would win, which they didn't. But we did watch on my Galaxy S6, the Watch ESPN app, and we did see the second half of the Michigan-Ohio State game. So I did watch most of it. I have the understanding. Now, most of, as most of you know, um, I am, I wouldn't say recently married, but I've been married for uh, over a year. I have a three-month-old, four-month-old son who's happily playing with a football right now about 10 feet away from me. 
and my wife uh, is a fanta- is fantastic with one small shortcoming. She is not a sports fan. And she's short. And, and uh, okay, that that would be another short. That, I don't know if I'd call that a shortcoming, but yes, that that's for, for someone who's preferred tall blondes over the years. The, the short brunette didn't really play in. So be it. That's just life. Um. So during Thanksgiving, we Carly sat through about nine hours of football. And then on Friday, when we were we were back in Hoboken, um, she sat through. You know, I had it on. We were we had somebody over for dinner. I had football on in the meantime. So on Saturday, about eleven forty-five. Now I am, as most of you know, college football is my favorite sport. Has become my favorite sport, and I am sitting there ready for Ohio State, Michigan. And she comes over and she says, "Let's take a walk." I say, "No, no, this game's on." It's the game of the year. Let's have every game for you is the game of the year. We're taking a walk. <laughs> oh, that sucks, dude. <laughs> so we walked. So I'm sitting there, and I text my friend Marisa, who listens to the show from time to time, who's one of the most knowledgeable sports people I know, went to Duke, husbands that went to Michigan. Um, and I go, what the hell do I do here? <laughs> I, <laughs> You know, every once in a while, and I said, all right, now we'll go for a 45-minute walk. I'll be back by the second quarter. Not a problem. Not realizing that my wife was planning to walk to Grove Street. Grove Street is in Jersey City. Two hours later, we walk. (laughs) We're in Jersey City. I'm checking my phone every five to ten minutes. And she said, you know, I want to buy you lunch. Okay, great. Let's go to the sports. No, we're going for a tie. Oh, okay. So suffice it to say, we were, it's about 40 degrees out. We're taking, the, we're taking the, the, uh, the light rail back to the city, back to Hoboken, and Maurice is texting me, pretty much telling me where my, you know, manhood is gone. And we get, and Carly sees it, gets, is not pleased with me for complaining about it. And I figured you get, you get a kick out of the story, Sean. And so we ended up, we get out of Hoboken, just out of Hoboken Terminal, just as the first over just as the fourth quarter ends, and we walk past the bar. Ohio, it looked like Ohio, a Big Ten bar actually that was pretty empty, ironically. Um, and someone runs out screaming, "It's overtime! It's overtime!" So I just went in. I watched the I watched the two overtimes. Did you think that JT Barrett hit? Uh, oh, Carly was not pleased, but um, and, I, and I have been hearing it ever since. But that's okay. For sure. Uh, did you think JT Barrett? Uh, reached on fourth down on the play before Noah Samuels or, okay, or Curtis so Samuels, I'm looking, ran for the. Uh, I'm, looking on, uh, I'm looking on a very small phone, so there. Uh, m- me giving you an idea as to the whether a guy made it by a yard or didn't make it by a yard, and I've not seen a replay, and really don't care to because it doesn't matter. I can't give you an an adequate opinion. Or, or a good opinion of whether he did or did not. What I saw was it depended on which hand the ball was in as to whether he made it. If it was in the right hand, he did. If it was in the left hand, he didn't. So I couldn't see that on the screen. The refs do the best that they can. And you know what? Up until maybe five years ago, we didn't even have replay. So... It is what it is. 
Michigan fans are distraught. I get it. Ohio State fans are jubilant. I get that, too. But Ohio State should have been winning that game by a lot. How many field goals did they miss? And where? On 21? The 22? I mean, come on. Michigan was lucky to be in the game to begin with. Uh, and Jake seems to concur. Um, I'll tell you something. What's interesting is, you know, this is being called. I didn't I, personally. I didn't think he made it, but you know, that's again, that's just that was my view on it. I, I could very well be wrong. Of course, I could be wrong. But what I find interesting is you now look at this series, and we talk about how great a rivalry it is, and this and that. And I hate to say this because I. So many of my friends are Michigan fans. I believe Ohio State won 12 of the last 13 games. At what point is this not a rivalry anymore? Oh, it's not a rivalry when, look, each one of these games is close, right? They're not blowout games. Yeah. They're close, and the, and the fans make it the rivalry, not, not necessarily. No, I'm kind of, I'm kind of saying that yeah, kiddingly. But you know how many times have we heard the not our rival? You know the not either. This is not our rival and the non-rivalry over. You know teams that won three games in a row or four games in a row, not twelve out of thirteen. So, no, I get you, but it's not. But the but the difference in quality and look when we say that we say it because it's not a rivalry because let's say the Jets and the Giants played every year and this year the Jets are three and eight and the Giants are eight and three and. The Jets haven't won a playoff game in 20 years and haven't beaten the Giants in 20 years. That makes sense. These have all been very competitive games. It's still a rivalry if the talent base is close. And you're in college even more so than the pros, where you're recruiting for all these players too. So it's not so much the rivalry isn't limited to what actually goes on the field, right? It's what's off the field, too. Terrell Pryor, now granted, Terrell Pryor is, what, three, four years out already, but he was between Ohio State and Michigan to where he was going to go. So the rivalry may not be limited strictly to what's on the field. Were you okay with Harbaugh's reaction after the game? Yeah, I thought, Har- you know what, Harbaugh was distraught, and that's okay because that shows that he he cares. And I don't have a problem with a guy that cares. How can you ever have a problem with a guy that cares? Kind of running through the rest of the weekend, Alabama wins easy, easily, Florida State wins easily. It's very interesting. The only interesting game to me, uh, I don't – the Big Ten, the Wisconsin-Penn State game does nothing for me. These teams, in my mind, are the third and fourth best teams in the conference. The game that's the most interesting to me is actually Friday night, the uh, Washington-Colorado game. Washington, number five, uh, Colorado, number nine, coming from nowhere uh, this year, 10-2 under Mike McIntyre. I guess right now, who is your fourth? They they come out with the numbers uh, in about an hour. I'll be watching Maryland-Pittsburgh, but I'm sure it'll be on the underlying screen. Um, underlying caption, excuse me. If you had to pick your four teams for the playoff right now, who would they be? It's still it's the four that are in there. It, it, there's no difference right now. 
It's the four that are there. So I'm Michigan number four. Yeah, I do. Uh, No, I'm sorry. I have, sorry, I have Washington four. So I have Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Washington. Then is five Michigan, is five Penn State, five Wisconsin, Oklahoma. five, five Five is Wisconsin, six is Penn State, seven is Oklahoma, eight is Michigan. Okay, so you have Michigan falling that far back. I do because uh, I mean I probably shouldn't, but I th- as I as we have said many times before, a late loss is much worse than an early loss. I, I'll keep the four that you have. I have Michigan five. Under no circumstances in my mind can Penn State go, and this is not because I went to Maryland and I detest Penn State. There is one do. very simple fact. No, I don't really care about Penn State. They've been irrelevant for the last, until this year for the last God knows how many years. But Penn State lost 39 to 10 to Michigan. This isn't a, tw- a 2017 loss or a 2014 loss or a 16-13. This is 39 to, t- is 39 to 10 or 49. It's 49 to 10, I believe, actually. I do not see how someone how, – how two teams with the same record – where the head-to-head is a 30-point difference, even if they win the Big Ten title, I, I don't see how they can go. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. Even if it was early, you can forgive certain losses. You said early, a loss in the end of the year is always more consequential than a loss in the beginning of the year. But yeah, this wasn't a loss. This was a blowout. I mean, to me, if Washington can be – now, Washington, the, the issue with Washington is their out-of-conference schedule has been horrendous. Rutgers and Idaho, and I think it was an FCS team. But the Pac-10 has been – Pac-10 has not been bad. We just haven't watched it because it's not Stanford and Oregon, So that, or, or New, and although USC has gotten better. So it's different teams, and I don't think people are accustomed to that. To me, Washington, 11-0 Washington – 11-1 Washington – Probably, especially if they beat Colorado impressively, um, will stay. Will be number four. Uh, I think the other three. Alabama is going to cruise, and even if they lost, it wouldn't matter. Clemson should beat Virginia Tech. If they lose, I, I will say, right. if they lose, I think they're out. Six thirty will walk. Um, Six thirty will walk. I think. Hello. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think Ohio I'm State's in. Michigan five, Wisconsin six. The winner of Oklahoma, then winner of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State seven, and then Penn State eight. Is anyone talking about a team that's fallen apart? The team that I thought was going to make the playoff, and I thought it had probably the best chance to beat Alabama was Louisville, and they have fallen apart, losing losing at home to Kentucky. Lamar Jackson two weeks ago, Lamar Jackson was the was the overwhelming favorite for the Heisman. Do you see anyone else? Is there anyone? No. His last two weeks have been subpar. It's been a down year still, in that in that area. You see anyone that can beat them out? Yeah, I don't. I don't see anybody else still, and that that's that's a shame. I mean, you have great talents in college football like Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey, who, if you took them from last year and put their stats in this year, either one of them wins. And the problem is they just haven't been able to do it this year. Fournette's been hurt. McCaffrey hasn't had the the year that he had last year, and unfortunately his, his draft stock, if he does come out, is going to plummet because of that. And 
yeah, I don't see anybody that really can take that, that mantle from Jackson right now. Is, is it possible with one of the games this weekend that that could happen? Absolutely. Heisman ballots don't have to come in until after this weekend. But I don't know. I mean, let's put it this way. The odds, it, they, Vegas took, uh, took the Heisman off, off the board. But as of the last Heisman odds, Jackson had a 1 to 25 odds. Not 25 to 1, <laughs> the other way around. So Vegas obviously thinks there's no other candidate either. The only, I, there are two players I think have a shot. Although I don't, again, I don't think any of them are the best player in college football. I think the best players in college football this year are probably Jabril Peppers in, in Mich- at Michigan and Jonathan Allen down, down in Alabama. Jake Browning has had an unbelievable year at Washington. The problem is he, is he has no recognition. Nobody knows who the heck he is. But he has got 40, win, 40, excuse me, 40 touchdowns and seven interceptions for an 11-1 team that nobody expected to be this good. And for the first time, really, they're going to be on national TV and they're having pretty much any, their own audience. Not, they're not just on the, it's not just a Pacific, a Pacific time uh, audience. You know, nationwide audience, 8 o'clock on Friday night against the top 10 team. If he can throw for 400 and three or four touchdowns, that may get interesting. Deshaun Watson, who was probably the preseason favorite, and it's had an inconsistent year, um, to say the least, will have another chance to kind of redeem himself against Virginia Tech. You know, Baker Mayfield, who has been phenomenal for Oklahoma after their rough start, and their, West, their wideout, uh, D.D. Westbrook, who I think it's like 11 touchdowns over 40 yards, yeah, 40, over 40 yard receptions for touchdowns this year, which is unheard of. You know, they play Oklahoma State in the Bedlam game, which will decide who wins the Big 12. Um, think any of these people can catch them, but I, I think it's enough to keep it interesting anyway. Well, and you know what? It may be, but interesting ain't going to win it, right? I mean, you have to, you have to have a. Well, there are two things at play here. One is. How many of the Heisman ballots have already been mailed in or voted on? We, we say mailed, but I'm sure they do it online now. How many of them have already been sent in before this game? Because there are many people, many voters, that believe that the championship game should not count because not everybody gets to play in one. And I'm not really sure that I disagree with that. Seth, if you if you can play an extra game, you get an extra opportunity to show your thing, show show what you can do. It's kind of like letting the playoffs in baseball count for the MVP, or the playoffs in football count for the All Pro rating, or the All Star game in the NBA count. Is it really fair to those guys whose teams did not show up? Maybe not the player, but the team did not show up. Like. Louisville, where you are just not – you're not given that last opportunity, which maybe four or five other people do. What do you think about that? It's an, inter- it's an interesting premise. Well, my whole, I don't think the cha- – I think the conference championships are selling. I'm a believer that if you win your conference, the regular, that the conference is 10 games or nine games or whatever it is, and whoever has the best record – and has a tie break, wins the conference, period. 
end of story. So to me, the, the, the idea of the conference championships is silly. It's a money grab. Now, do I enjoy it? Yeah. I never really thought about it in regards to what you just said, because I've never really, I've never really put much thought into it, because um, I, I just haven't. But I think there is a, if that is the reason why people vote early because they believe that the extra game is not should not be should not be inclusive in someone's regulars. Kind of thinking about that out loud, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, I think that's actually pretty logical. You know, when you have a guy who leads the team to a ten and two record, and you know, you know, I always my feeling with the MVP, and we've talked about this, is it's not someone who has to be. They don't have to be on a playoff team. They need to be somewhat competitive. And Lamar, you know, Louisville is not going to the ACC championship game, but they have been competitive throughout the year. So I guess I can kind of – I, I actually like the argument you just made. Well, wow. that's like twice. Twice in an hour this has twice. happened. I'm not comfortable with it. Let, let me ask you this. Has anybody – first of all, are you happier for anybody right now than you would be for Ed Ogenon, who got the – main gig at LSU. I'm ecstatic for this guy because I'm happy for him, but I don't think he deserves the job. Well, I think he deserved the job at USC and he didn't get it. And I think he deserved, look, he went, he went five and two with that team. I don't, I don't see any reason why he doesn't deserve the job. I'm not sure most coaches wouldn't. The problem is this. And again, I kind of look around on this. They fire Les Miles, who probably, look, it was most likely his time to leave. Um, and they, they, want, they make the run at Tom Herman, who really has not had a phenomenal year at Houston, um, but he's everybody's, you know, All-American right now. He, accepts the, he orally accepts the job and then decides he wants to hear from Texas once Texas fire, loses to CCU when they fire uh, Charlie Charlie. Charlie Strong, LSU gets annoyed and reneges on the offer. LSU is what a top five to ten job probably in college football. Sure. And to give sure. it to, to a guy who had coached in the SEC before, and I believe was like ten and twenty. Um, yep. You know, someone. It's not. I don't. You know, again, if he can bring, he's a he's a he's a he's a great coordinator. I don't know how great. I don't know if. To me, this is not a first. This is you have to prove yourself on a coaching ground before you take that. You get a job at LSU. But he had. And he did it. At USC. No, Wait, he did it at USC. He did it he on did an interim it. basis for five. He was five and two on an interim basis at USC. I agree. I mean, uh, but he he well, was also ten and twenty five or whatever it was at Ole Miss in the SEC. Let me, let, wait, wait, wait. Is it the worst? Do you want to go there? Wait, wait. If you want to go there, hold on. We got five minutes left, but I just want to say one thing. If you if you want to go there, then Gene Chizik, who got recycled from Iowa State, who went to Auburn and won a national championship, right? Didn't deserve that job either, right? Didn't deserve it. But did a hell of a job. Sometimes it's the sometimes you know what? It's not necessarily. The t- it goes back to the Heisman Trophy candidate argument. Yes, but you yes you are given the team, but you are only as good as a coach as the team that you have and the talent that you have. You could put Bobby Bowden and 
I was going to say Joe Paterno, but I'll I'll go. I think you're going to say Buddy Ryan, but okay. No, you could put Bobby Bowden and Newt Rockney coaching the Syracuse Orange this year, but with that defense, you're still going to give up 75 points. Wouldn't matter. You're you're we. They are what we thought they were. I mean, to quote Dennis Green, the late Dennis. I was going to say, did you just quote Dennis Green? I did. The late Dennis Green, actually, because Dennis Green has passed away, like Buddy Ryan. Like Buddy Ryan. (laughs) Yeah. So we got five minutes to go, uh, three minutes to go, so I'll be very quick. Congratulations to Tom Herman for the best hoodwink job of any coach in the last 10 years. He didn't want to go to LSU. He just wanted more money. So congratulations on a tremendous job of hoodwinking the Texas Longhorns. Let's see if you are as good a coach as you are a magician. As Jake is crying in approval in the background. Um, Really interesting story in the Washington Post. Uh, The greatest player probably in Maryland basketball history is Juan Dixon led the team to the title in 2002. And one of the main stories was that at age 15, his parents both died of, uh, of AIDS. And, you know, so he ends up with a, with this success, with a, you know, a, mod, a mediocre but to moderate career in the NBA. Get, finds out this August, I only found this out this week, that actually his, his actual father was a, was not the person who was deceased, but was a was an ex girl ex boyfriend of his mother, who ha, who who had a feeling for the last thirty five years that he had a kid that he that Juan Dixon was his son. And I encourage anyone. It's a really nice story, um, talking about you know how this guy he kind of knew, but he didn't want to be the father who intruded, you know who kind of came in you know while Juan becomes extremely famous, you know, wants the fortune and all that. The guy ended up, I think he was the second African-American to be considered a major in the Baltimore Corrections, uh, whatever that position was. Real, you know, reading about it and kind of seeing it, and, you know, as a Maryland fan, the Maryland alum who's, you know, who has who's heard the story countless times, it was really interesting. So I encourage anyone to take a look at that. Um, you know, trying to think what else quickly – now that pretty much covers it for this week. Um, I want to thank Jake for not crying for 56 of the 60 minutes of the show. Um, I don't really want to discuss the Brazilian soccer team crash because I don't know enough about it. All I know is, you know, it's obviously a horror, 71 dead and six survivors um, for one of the club teams down, down in Brazil. And, you know, that may be some, you know, I, I, for, in a time where everything just seems to be more and more miserable. I don't really want to be talking about stuff on this this high of a level without knowing what without knowing more. So for Sean Palmer, we'll be back next week. For Sean Palmer, this is Seth Cameron's on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. Uh, happy seven years to back sports page. Hopefully someday you'll make a dime. Uh, <laughs> have a good week, everybody. See ya.